up. And thank you, church. It's, I'm really grateful to be back. I was telling the production team earlier, I'm grateful that you all watched me preach on a screen uh, in February, so I appreciate that. And it's good to be in the room with you. The other thing um, is, like, uh, leader to leader, Rob left, so I'll talk about him like he's still here, but Rob, like your pastor loves Jesus in a really contagious way, and so it's an honor to stand in this place knowing that I'm coming behind someone who loves you and shepherds you so well. And I've been watching uh, the sermons throughout this series, and so I know your other pastors as well are uh, loving you and leading you towards Jesus, and so it's an honor to stand in this place. I also, before I uh, read the text and pray, I want to give um, an a- some application on the front end. I want to say that there are like some weighty things in this text, and that's okay. And everything can't be resolved in a neat, nice 35-ish minute sermon. And so I want to invite you to examine some of the questions that I'm asking today. So if you're a note taker, uh, have those ready. There will be some questions. You'll hear me repeat them twice, things like that. And those are meant for you to take away with you and process and examine and sit before God's Holy Spirit. Spirit, and I believe that God's Holy Spirit will speak to you and will answer those questions in partnership with you. And so that's all that we're asking of the Lord today. So let's read this text, let's pray, and then let's dive in. So we're in Revelation 3 this week, the letter to the church in Sardis. And I'm going to read it. You can read it along in your Bibles with me, but I will read it aloud. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I'll come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we pray in that same way this morning. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are tender. Give us minds that are open. Give us hands willing to be moved by you. Meet us in this place. You're here. We just acknowledge that and we ask you make us more aware of it, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that anything I say that is helpful, you use it to the building of your kingdom and your church, and anything that is not, that it would just fall away. Lord, but ultimately, would you be the one communicating to hearts and minds this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, which is so sweet in this place. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'd love to start with a little audience participation. I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit. So do we have any bakers in the house? Anybody who bakes? Even like semi-pros, I just bake for my kids on the weekends. I saw a couple. All right, you. How long does it take to bake cinnamon rolls, like fresh cinnamon rolls? What you got? 35 minutes. Okay, what about the whole process? 
hours. I heard a week over here, which is good. So you're tracking with me. Uh, where is he going with this? Uh, how about, this is an easier question. Anybody in the house eating like the Pillsbury can, pop it open, 10 minutes in the oven, cinnamon roll. All right, more of you. All right. Now, any of you that have had both, you don't have to have baked both, but if you've had both, anybody in here who would be brave enough to say, I would choose to eat Pop the can open, 10-minute cinnamon rolls over a fresh homemade cinnamon roll. All right, there's going to be a time of prayer for you all at the end. (laughs) Where am I going with this? Well, I'll tell you. Yesterday, uh, my wife embarked on the journey of baking cinnamon rolls for our our family for the first time. It was about a four-hour experience, so I can confirm we're about right there. And as we're eating them, I was watching my children's reactions. One of my children said, this is the best thing I have ever tasted. One of my children said, this is perfect, which we never get that one. Then I walk downstairs and one of my children is just standing there with his hands up like this after the cinnamon roll, like the post-sugar coma just raised his hands. It was incredible. And I thought something, as all uh, communicators do, this would be a great sermon illustration. And it reminds me so much of what's going on in our text this morning. Sometimes we can read the Bible and we can think like, oh, this Jesus guy, he's really upset with like, how we're living our life. Other times we can read the Bible and say, like, no, this Jesus guy really just wants more for us. He just wants what's best for us. He loves us. He's tender. He's kind. He's good. And many of us are willing to just kind of go through our life eating those prepackaged cinnamon rolls. They're quick. They're easy. They're no hassle, no mess. They're sweet, sugary, and to the point. There's things like process and time and waiting and patience that we don't like and uh, waiting on those delicious homemade cinnamon rolls. Those are not the muscles we often flex. And so most of us in our relationship with God and in our cinnamon rolls settle for less. We settle for the lesser option. We go through the motions. We miss the vibrant, animated life of tasting and seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living And this morning, what I want you to hear Jesus inviting you to is a rich, vibrant life with God. The call to wake up, to be alive, is a call to walk with Jesus. And that's incredible. And the big idea then out of this text this morning is this. Wake up is a call to be spiritually formed for missional engagement. Wake up is a call to be spiritually formed for missional engagement. Another way to say that is wake up is the call to be alive spiritually and physically with Jesus. Let me unpack a little bit of the context as some of the others have done in the series so we can understand the the church that this letter is written to. As you've gone through the series, you've learned bits and pieces. I've seen maps. I've seen history. I've seen all kinds of other things that are cool. And the thing I want to say about Sardis is just really simple. They were living a life of comfort and ease. There were some things geographically about Sardis that made it thought to be impenetrable by enemies. And then one day they were conquered. And so the people reading this letter would have been aware of that, and Jesus' warning to them would have said something specific about the way that they physically postured their lives. So comfort and ease, in that case, come off as dead. What's also clear about this church is that they have done some things, right? They have a reputation before them, but the Lord describes it as incomplete, and he calls them to strengthen what remains, And so it's clear at some point things were different, 
And there are also still some in their midst that are alive. There are some to look to. There are some that are walking with Jesus. And so then with that as the backdrop historically, what becomes clear to us is that if we don't wake up, if we don't repent, if we live the comfortable and easy life, we'll just miss everything that God's doing in the world. And the curious thing to me as I explored this passage and the big idea is if comfort and ease are not indicative of life, then what is? Doesn't God want us to have it easy? Doesn't God want us to have it good? That's something we've got to wrestle with. But if these aren't indicators of God's best for us, then what is? What are the indicators of being alive spiritually? What are the indicators of being alive physically? And when we explore that, When we dig in, I believe we can avoid those pitfalls of this comfort, complacent, dead life. I want to break it into two pieces this morning. Let's talk about being alive spiritually. To be alive spiritually is an intentional commitment to walk with Jesus in a spiritually formative way. An intentional commitment to walking with Jesus in a spiritually formative way. Here's a big truth. We are all being formed. The question is, by what and into what? Every one of us is being formed by things and into something. That is an unavoidable truth of reality. And so then intentional spiritual formation is saying, I'm going to be formed by God's Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ. And the good news and the bad news for us, friends, is there is no other way. There is no way to begin to look and love and serve more like Jesus than being formed by God's Holy Spirit. If we're being formed by anything else, then we are being formed into something else. And it may be adjacent, it may be close, it may be like, but it's not going to be our risen, resurrected Lord that we encounter in the Scriptures And so for the church in Sardis, it's clear that they're being formed by comfort and by the ease of the culture around them. And unfortunately, we have to examine our lives and see if that is true of us today. Do the patterns of our lives in any way reflect that we are being formed by God's Holy Spirit? It's a question all of us have to wrestle with. Do the patterns of my life reflect, demonstrate that I am relying and being formed by God's Holy Spirit? Let me be really clear. I don't mean, are we coming to church? I don't mean, are we singing good songs? I don't mean, are we believing right things? Are we listening to right podcasts? Are we hearing from the right thinkers and thought leaders? I don't mean, are we giving our tithes and offerings? I don't mean, are we saying nice Christian things to people that are hurting? Can we just get below the surface for a moment here and acknowledge that the church in Sardis was probably doing whatever contextually relevant version of that there was in that day as well? And Jesus said, you're dead. You see, our patterns of religious behavior are then a false indicator of our spiritual formation. And so that's the reason we can look alive but be dead on the inside. After all, canned cinnamon rolls are kind of like cinnamon rolls, right? So then to wake up, to strengthen what remains, to see our works become complete, we have to commit ourselves to this intentional cultivation of walking with Jesus. 
We have to be committed to getting to new depths, asking new questions that lead us to a specific kind of formation. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Here's the amazing thing about the God we serve. He doesn't just call us to follow him. He shows us the way. Friends, God actually put on flesh. God actually came and dwelt among us. And in doing so, he offers us the kind of formation that would enliven and animate our lives in the world to look more like his. So spiritual formation then is becoming more like Jesus. And there's two big things I want to offer you out of a life of spiritual formation. The first is spiritual formation seeks to offer you a recalibration of your identity. To open our lives to be formed by God's Holy Spirit is to intentionally, willfully sit down before the Creator God, turn down all that noise, shut down all the other voices, and say, let me hear what you have to say about how you've made me and what you've made me to be. And that will recalibrate our identities. Where do we see this in the scriptures? We see it at the baptism of Jesus. Recorded in every single gospel, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends in bodily form, lands on Jesus, we're told, and says this, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit of God offers us that very same thing today. Can I just tell you for a moment that God is inviting you to sit down and hear him say, you're already loved, you're already chosen, you're more than enough. These are the things that he's spoken. These aren't just things we sing about. These are things that are true, and God's Holy Spirit will confirm them for you if you will turn down all the other voices in your life and hear that. And I want to make a key distinction here. We're not formed for our identity as sons and daughters of God. We are formed from our identity as sons and daughters of God. We engage in spiritual formation because we are the children of God. We are those who have been set free. We are those who have been made alive in Christ. And we are called to walk forward in that identity. We're not coming to God, engaging in this formation to say, give me this identity. We're engaging in order to strengthen and animate this identity into the fullness of what God has created you to be, the beloved children of him in whom he is well pleased. And more often in engaging and allowing God to have the first and the last word about who you are, the more quickly you'll be able to identify every other voice that seeks to call you outside of your name. And when you start to get called outside of your name, what happens is you become dead. You become asleep. You become ineffective in this world because you choose comfort, you choose apathy, you choose complacency. When you understand who you are, when your identity is shaped and calibrated by God's Holy Spirit, then you're going to begin to become alive and look a little bit more like Jesus every day. So the question for you to examine is, who do you hear first? Who do you hear first when you think about who you are? In the highs, the lows, do you hear God's voice? Do you hear beloved? Do you hear well-pleased? It's hard. If we will dig in here and understand where our identity is being calibrated, then we can decide which voice will form us. We can decide, that's not it. Quiet that down. 
All this takes is your availability. All this takes is yielding your heart to God. The second dynamic that spiritual formation in this way will offer us is a vision for the healing of our world shaped by God. Uh, Friends, I don't need to tell you the kinds of trouble that our world is in. We can skip that for now. But I will say this, vision shapes our activity. And so for us and for Sardis to avoid incompleteness in our work, to avoid a complacent life, to be found walking with Jesus, then we need a vision that matches God's vision for the healing of the world. Because that will shape our activity question you may ask yourself here is, where am I growing my understanding of God's heart for the world? What soil is that growing in? Where are you growing your vision for the healing of this world? Here's the thing. We're not looking at a generation that lacks vision. We're looking at a generation full of vision. We're looking at a very creative, innovative, thoughtful, conscious generation. There are people inside the church and outside of the church who are working really diligently to find solutions to human problems that have long existed. I think what's interesting to watch, though, is how does the church, how do we as the people of God navigate these solutions? And I would assess it and say in love that there's a large and growing disunity in the body of Christ as it relates to how we engage in culture, how we fight injustice, how we fight against the disparities that are continuously being revealed in our midst. There's a growing disunity around how we engage in those things. And what I believe this is revealing is that most of us have not formed our vision for the healing of the world with God. The default position then becomes we do nothing. We do nothing about the hurt we see around us. We move away from the historic legacy of good works that the church has been involved in. We become apathetic or indifferent. We get in our holy huddles and we reminisce about the times that were and we look like Sardis, sort of alive but really dead. What would happen if our vision for the world was formed by God's word? What if our vision for the world was formed by God's heart? I wonder if we're finding our grounding, we're finding our foundation on things that are no more than sinking sand. It's bloggers and vloggers and podcasts and pundits and thinkers and theologians, and we're looking to those things first. And I'm not saying don't engage those things. I'm just saying where do you go first? Because the solid rock that is Jesus has been perfectly and completely revealed on every page of this holy world in the form of a person named Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to form you into that same person today. Here's what's revealed about this Jesus guy. This is not exhaustive. He's the word that was in the beginning. He's the word that became flesh. He's the full manifestation of God. He's the king who came to serve. He walked the earth. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He set captives free. He's a king, yet he emptied himself to die a shameful death on a cross to bury sin and shame. 
The story didn't end there. He rose from that grave. He conquered death. He emptied sin and darkness of all of their power. And he's committed to redeeming, restoring, and healing every single place in this world that is still broken. That's the Jesus we encounter on every page of this scripture. And the invitation that he's making to us is to walk with him. To wake up and to walk with him, to encounter him daily in this text that's been recorded and preserved for us. And it's available to us from generation to generation so that we can see where we ought to go to heal this world that God has made. So the question for examination becomes, where do you go first? Where do you go first when you get that call from the doctor with a poor prognosis? When that relationship doesn't work out, when things are rocky with your children, when you're in disagreement with your community of support, when you're at odds with your family, when you encounter a place of brokenness in the world, where do you go first? Do you shape your vision for healing in the situation from every other source except the one that truly offers life? Again, friends, the invitation this morning is to walk with Jesus. The invitation to walk with Jesus in a spiritually formative way is to begin to understand who we are and understand who God is. And when we do that, it changes the way we live and move and breathe and are physically present in the world. It cultivates a vibrant and animated life with God, and that should lead us then into missional engagement. That's the second part. Another way to say that is to walk with Jesus should lead us to walk with the wounded. Another way to say that is to walk with Jesus should lead to working with Jesus. A fourth way to say it, it was on the video, to have hearts like Jesus and hands like Jesus. Along with being spiritually dead, this text tells us that there, was, there were some people who had started some things. That God's not done, that the church isn't done. It's a hopeful prognosis. And while this uh, emphasis on spiritual formation I've I've been talking about can enliven us and animate us spiritually, it should also lead us into the kinds of activity that God wants to engage in in the world. When I think about our city, it's not hard to feel like this passage is really relevant today. When you think about Atlanta as a city in this country, this place has been known as the cradle of the civil rights movement. At one point, the moniker of this city was that it's the city too busy to hate. We know that much of the civil rights movement was born out of a deep conviction by leaders of faith to see fairness, equity, and better treatment of those who bear God's image. It's very clear when you visit Atlanta or if you live around here, the names of the streets, the museums, the placards, the statues, all of it points to things that were begun, right? God is not finished. What we also know about Atlanta is that today, here in this city, is the largest wealth gap of anywhere in our country. We know that while in Atlanta, the opportunity for black wealth specifically is the highest in our country, we sit in a neighborhood right now where poverty is outpacing other parts of our city. We know that in our city there's an affordable housing crisis, there's homelessness abounding, there's educational disparities, there's sex and human trafficking, gun violence is on the rise, and the list goes on and on and on and on. 
I don't, I don't think that you really need me to, to tell you all those things. So for those of us that are seeking to walk with Jesus, and that leads us to walking with the wounded, then we should examine how we're engaging with God in the healing of this world, in the healing of this city, in the healing of your neighborhood, in the healing of your home. And there's two places I want us to look with this new vision that we get from the scriptures. First is, look for those in need of healing. Look for those in need of healing. Friend, this is not uh, overly complicated, if we can be honest, but it is costly. It will cost us time, it will cost us talent, it will cost us treasure to start looking for those in need of healing in our context and then pursue them. And I want to get really granular here just for a second, if you'll indulge me. I'm talking about people, and I'm also talking about systems. So on one hand, I would say to you, we have not been called to care about causes. We've been called to walk with the wounded. And on the other hand, I would say, as we're walking with the wounded, we should explore the causes of that wounding and use whatever God's placed in our hands to see the systems that are perpetually wounding people dismantled and emptied of their power. To be missionally engaged is to tangibly, with our hands, participate with God in the healing of people and places, and that cannot happen if you are not looking. It cannot happen if you are not alive. It cannot happen if you are not asleep. A really practical way to make this happen is the second thing I want you to examine. Look for the healers. Look for those in need of healing and then look for the healers. I love this verse, verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. Let me read it differently this morning. You still have a few names in Atlanta. You still have a few names in Grace Midtown. You still have a few names in your neighborhood. People who have not soiled their garments, they'll walk with me in white. They are worthy. There are people among us walking with Jesus and walking with the wounded. And if you'll engage in this process of looking for them, then oftentimes what will happen is you'll find a greater depth of your understanding of the healing that's needed, and you'll match that with the identity God's formed in you to meet that need. Where has God begun to beckon your heart to engage with something, someone? Who's already engaged in healing there that you might come to know. I'm going to mention a, a few kinds of people or groups of people here. Again, this will not be exhausted, but I would encourage you to take a natural step towards someone or something this week as a, again, as an application. These are the names the Holy Spirit brought to my mind. Again, not exhaustive. So I thought about our team over at Peace Prep. Rob said I would talk about it. I won't talk about it much, but there are men and women who show up daily to educate whole kids, support whole families, and provide growth and change opportunities for whole communities in a high-quality, Christ-centered learning environment in this neighborhood, and that's hard. A couple of them might be over there. I'm not going to point them out. I thought about my friends Matt and Justin and their teams that work against the displacement of historic residents and west side communities disproportionately impacted by the rapid development in our city. They provide safe, quality, dignified, affordable housing. 
I thought about my friend Dr. Warren and the team at the Good Samaritan Health Center, no more than a mile from here, who for 20 years in Atlanta has sought to spread the love of Christ through health care provision for the un- and underinsured, left a private practice to serve those who didn't have insurance on the margins, motivated, animated by Jesus. I thought about Jim Reese, who left a corporate career and his team at Atlanta Mission, seeking to empower those experiencing homelessness with a transformation model centered on Christ. I thought about my friends Josh Clemens and Dan Crane and the team at One Race, seeking to teach Christians in our city to love across color, class, and culture. I thought about every foster parent that my wife and I sat alongside as we participated in that process all the way through adoption. I thought about the caseworkers, the therapists, the judges, the social workers, all those involved in caring for vulnerable children in our city. I thought about my friends, uh, Jeff, Delp, and Katie. I actually saw them walking on the Beltline as I was pulling in at FCS in South Atlanta, seeking economic and housing justice in the lives of people for many, many years in this city. I thought about all the pastors I know, yours included, In a variety of contexts, they're seeking to make disciples that make disciples to walk with the wounded in our churches, encouraging you to have the heart of Jesus in the hands of Jesus. There's so much happening in the name of Jesus for the sake of those who need healing in our city. And I just want to call you this morning to look for those healers and start asking questions about how you can join them in what God's already doing. The invitation this morning is to live in such a way that you are spiritually alive so that you can physically engage. I'm going to give you a mental image of this because I think object lessons are fun. There's actually some kids here, so that's fun. Can you guys come help me for a second, Justin and Rob? So sometimes there can be a tension in, uh, in spiritual formation and missional engagement, Right? We can think like, oh, this spiritual formation stuff, this quiet stuff, this sitting down, this Holy Spirit stuff, this can become kind of like navel-gazing, maybe. And I'll say that, like spiritual formation on its own will lead us to piety, not power. Right? It's like, I don't, I can't, I can't, I don't know if I can do this by itself, right? It's kind of like, it's just going to do that. A little bit. Hold that for me. In the same way, missional engagement, Right? Missional engagement in and of itself, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, lacks the animation that's necessary. And when we engage that way, then we are closer to pride than we are power. Friends, power, the power of God is available in holding this tension. And God, Jesus, in these words to the church, invites his church to participate with him in this way. The Holy Spirit of God wants to animate our lives with this power when we hold this tension to pull this thing, and this, I hope this doesn't hit anybody, to launch the power of God into our city. Can you see it? Can you see yourself being recalibrated by the identity of Christ? Can you see yourself being calibrated by the vision of God for the healing of a world? Let's go that way towards the outside. Whoa. 
Can you see yourself being missionally engaged to a place where you're looking for those in need of healing? You're looking for those in need of restoration. You find a healer and you say, I want to hold this tension with you. I want to unleash the power of God in our city. That's good. That's all the balls I got. Can you see it? Can you see the power of God, the healing power of God animated through you, not through somebody else, through you? The invitation is from Jesus to walk with him, to work with him. The king of the entire universe wants to work with you to redeem and restore everything that he made to see it come to the fullness of his vision, to see earth look more like heaven. Can you see it? I'll invite the band to come and close with this story. And I just want to ask you a heart question here. About a year ago in the peak of the pandemic, we're still in it, but at the like heavy stay-at-home time, we've got five kids, 10, 10, 9, 8, and 4. We need to get out of the house. <laughs> so we get out of the house every day, and we go to this little trail up off Moore's Mill Road, and it's just a little path, um, a little trail, some trees uh, where we go and we throw Frisbees and ride bikes and jump rope and things like that. And one day we're throwing the Frisbee. And behind me, something materializes. I don't know what it is, but my wife and my kids face of shock, and they're running towards me. So I turn around, and I catch the tail end of this deer off Moore's Mill Road. So this is very disorienting. (laughs) Okay. And so as we're walking to the car, we walk by, and we look in the bushes, and we see the deer just eating there. And every day for about a month when we'd get in the van, my kids' conversation would be, I wonder if we're going to see the deer today. They'd get out of the van and they'd walk really quietly so that they could maybe catch a glimpse of this deer. And they did that for about a month, but after about a month, it just sort of wore off out of nowhere. run up that path, and there was no concern whether, whether the deer was there or not there. And I wonder if we're like this. We've been alive, we've been awake, we've been walking in expectation and wonder, and then eventually it just kind of wears off. We just stop expecting God to show up. I wonder if we'd be able to hold this question with the Holy Spirit this morning. Where am I power of God to show up in my life? And if you aren't, then the words wake up may be for you. But I want to tell you this. You're not alone. You're not alone. This week, I got back in the office preparing for the next school year, and in many ways, I found myself going through the motions I was like, I was very uninspired. I was waking up very tired, very stressed. There's this heaviness to me. There's decisions that need to be made. There's never enough money. There's transitions that are taking place. And I was not walking in any kind of expectation that God was going to show up. So physically, emotionally exhausted, 
not animated by God at all, not awake, dead. But the cool thing is we're out at that trail on Tuesday. My daughter hit a tree with a jump rope. I don't know why. (laughs) And friends, not one, but two deer And I just laughed with God because the power of God will show up even when we're not expecting it. Like Jesus is so kind to say, wake up to us, even when we don't want to be woken up. There was nothing in my posture that was like, I want to be awake and alive and animated to God today. I was hot and tired and sweaty and I didn't want to be out there. And I knew there were so many other things I should be, could be doing. And God made a trail off Moore's Mill Road and reminded me to walk in expectation that he is going to show up. That even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, God is working. Are you alive? If not... Hear the gentle voice of Jesus inviting you to wake up. Work with him. Come alive. He loves you. He's for you. God, would you bring to completion that that which you've started? Make us alive. Wake us up. Call us to walk with you and work with you because you love us and because you're good and because you want to be with us and because you're for us and because you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to reshape and reform every broken and in need of you. And I want to live in expectation of that. So help me, Lord. Help us. Let it be said of us, the church in Atlanta, the church in English Avenue, the the church at Grace Midtown, that we're alive and we're awake, that we're walking with Jesus and we're working with Jesus, and that the wounded are being healed. Let it be.